Ladies and gentlemen, the Web3 show with Elio Trades is back. In this episode, we discuss whether the bottom is in for markets and whether right now is a good time to accumulate assets, including risk assets like crypto and NFTs. We talk about the current state of affairs when it comes to NFT trading, the future of gaming NFTs, and what that ecosystem could look like, as well as the viability of blockchain technology long-term. It's a great episode as usual. We'll be doing the show Monday and Wednesday from now on, so two podcast uploads a week. Maybe that cadence increases, but for now, we can 100% commit to Monday and Wednesday. We're really excited to bring this show back. As usual, all of our content is sponsored by SoRare. Sign up at thenifty.com slash SoRare. If you like fantasy sports and NFT games, SoRare is the platform for you. Good morning, West Coast, and good afternoon to the East Coast. The Web3 Show is back with the one and only LEO Trades. We are going to be running this show Monday and Wednesday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, with the one and only LEO Trades of the LEO Trades YouTube channel, Imposters, and you know a whole lot more. Of course, Nifty Nick is my co-host on this show in addition to Elio, the funniest man in the business. But we have a lot to talk about. few weeks off of the Web3 show. I think a lot of people missed it. I know for sure I did. Elliot, what's going on, amigo? How you doing? Oh, man, it's so good to be back. I've been uh, I've been really excited to start doing these spaces again. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Obviously, everyone's just right now kind of like in disbelief about the market ripping. Uh, so we got to talk about if the bottom's in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope you guys, uh, are okay after post Miami and, uh, I hope you're recovering. I know you guys had some, some soaking in, in the tub that probably helped, uh, helped, you know, heal the wounds. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get back in the, in the lab here with you two, because there's a lot to discuss. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to add on, obviously, um, you know, most of my work is in the, the superverse ecosystem, which was previously called Superfarm. And the products there are Gigamart and Imposters. Um, and I am a founder of Neo Tokyo as well. So those are the projects where I focus all my time um, when I'm not content creating. So thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk uh, for the first time in a while also about like kind of the, the native Web3 space because there's a lot going on right now and it's starting to feel, it's always one of those sort of ironic things that things start to feel exciting um, as they get really, really bearish to me. So I'm excited to, to really dig into all that. As Did- are we, Elliot. Go ahead, Nick. Did your doctor suggest, Pio, that uh, yelling the intro would help improve your voice? <laughs> you know, uh, I met with an ENT doctor, an ear, ear nose, and throat doc- doctor, and he said, if you don't yell the intro to the podcast, it's going to be a big problem. No, I'm Interesting. kidding. My, my voice is down bad post Miami, but we'll be back. We'll be good. Uh, I think the bottom is in on my voice. The question is, is the bottom in on the market? Elliot, You had talked about an investable bottom coming our way in 2023. Now that a a whopping two weeks has gone by, uh, two or three weeks since the last time we talked about that, I'm wondering, is that thesis still intact or are adjustments in order? I mean, look, so here's the thing. The boogeyman is inflation. It's really simple. The boogeyman's inflation. So it depends on how quickly this goes away. I do think that 2023 will have really, really good investable bottom opportunities. Um, and I do think that, you know, even if it's like end of 2023, beginning of 24, we'll see some juicy stuff here within the next 12 months. The biggest thing is trying to understand how quickly we can tame inflation. You know, some of the data historically shows it can take a very long time uh, to deal with inflation. And that if the markets, which everyone's like super impatient, has, has absolutely no ability uh, to sit on their hands and, and wait, that's the new investor complex is lack of patience. I talked about this a lot. Everybody says, you know, max pain is up, max pain is down, max pain is left. I was like, no, max pain is is right. Max pain is slow. Max pain is is waiting because no one has the patience. Um, and it's the social media, you know, instant gratification era. So in a world where it takes years to resolve this, that's really the, the, the situation I see hurting most investors, where investing is no longer mainstream culture because it's too slow, it's too methodical, and the, and the results are too far off. That's the way investing has been for most of history. Um, and that really, it's a rich man's thing because uh, 
you need to have a lot of money to enjoy a 10% return, a 5% return. Um, and that's kind of why, you know, investing in the modern age has become, you know, distorted because there's been all this opportunity. So that's my fear. My fear is if things get really slow to the point where it takes just a long time to resolve and inflation doesn't go away. That's the real fear is that if we see inflation spike up aggressively after we see some kind of not like pivot, but at least calming of the Fed's policies, which we are seeing, right? And so that's what we're that's what we're seeing is the Fed saying, okay, we're going to slow down rate hikes. It's pretty much guaranteed that the next rate hike is going to be less than 0.75. So what happens in in that world? Do the markets see it as like a buy all things opportunity? It sort of feels like that's what they're seeing. Um, and that's what's really confusing right now is, is this going to be, you know, this time is different? Is this time completely different? Because if this time is completely different, then maybe we're going to see an investable bottom soon. If this time is like the other times or potentially worse, um, then we'll see uh, a local bottom in 2023 that could probably have one to two years of upside. And then we might see a flip-flop by the Fed and, and might see the real crash. That's like what happened in the 70s, right? We had this uh, 20% correction in um, S&P. Then we had the Fed uh, change their, their tune. We had a massive bull market back up to the previous highs. And then we got the real pain. The real pain happened years into it. And so that's where we could end up with some real pain. Is if, and the Fed knows this. That's the thing is because history is, is a good guide. You never end up with the exact same situation twice because history is showing you, okay, the Fed can't do this, it can do that. Um, so you need to understand that that historical guide you know, prevents it from being exactly the same. Um, but you know, the big question is, is it the 70s? Uh, is, it the, is, is, it, is it the 30s? Like, is, it the, is it 2001? You know? where, where are we? Um, what kind of historical analog are we in? Um, but regardless, you know, if you're thinking really long-term, you know, five years out, 10 years out, um, then I think you're going to be really good DCAing into the next, uh, into 2023 and 2024. So I have a quick question, Elliot, and then I, I do want to hear from Nick on this. You bring up the 30s, you bring up the 70s, and I understand why people paying attention to the markets would. How much of a difference, so in the 30s, we were on the gold standard. In this, We came off the gold standard in 1971, so the 70s are the years following the departure from the gold standard. The current standard of you know money printer go burr, you know, quantitative easing, and I know that we're in a period of quantitative tightening right now, but doesn't the new precedent set by the Federal Reserve to print uh, money you know, to, to high hell anytime um, there seems to be adversity? I mean, I know that that's an extreme way of saying it, but we saw what they did during the COVID period. Obviously, they're tightening that up now. But now that that precedent is set, um, does that like drastically change anything? Doesn't that create an environment that is a stark contrast to the 30s or 70s specifically? Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort, sort of, right? We have a contrast to the 30s, but we don't have necessarily a contrast to, to the 70s, right? Um, and so I think it's really important to realize that we're addicted to the drug of free money. The markets are not like they were before. They cannot handle this level of elevated rates for too long. Um, and that's because something's going to break. Now, the thing is, even if something breaks, does that mean that inflation goes away? Just remember, if inflation gets entrenched and becomes sticky, that's when you get real crazy, crazy shit happening. Like, for lack of a better term, it, it, it is real bad if inflation gets entrenched because that's where you get the vast majority of people um, not able to afford like basics like food, right? And so that's when you get regime change, civil unrest, et cetera. So there's no option. There's no option to let inflation run wild. So the 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 real thing that I wanted to point out here is just a couple of things because I do want to talk about some cool web web three stuff. I mean, I'm starting to reach the point where I'm starting to like not that I don't care. It's just that I'm not like that interested in the macro stuff. Like I'll do it once a week maybe, but I really want to start focusing on the other value centers because I do think it's one of those things where like on a side note, side tangent, like it's reaching a point where the news is keeping you poor because it's making you think that there's no opportunity out there, you know? And, and, and that's not the case, right? There's no, there's always going to be opportunities, but switching back to this, just, just to, just to summarize this, we have a few things going on. Good news is still really bad news, right? That's a really big sign. We had a hot jobs report come in where jobs did really, really well. Guess what? The market tumbled on that jobs report. That means that investors are effectively hitching their wagon to the idea that something's going to break and the Fed has to pivot because it's so bad. Well, guess what? It's not so bad. And so when it's not so bad, that puts the Fed in a position where they are going to continue to suffocate the market because they're seeing no consequence from doing it. Um, and it helps them kill their big boogeyman, which is inflation. So remember that. Good news is still really, really bad news, right? 
We also have Bridgewater, Ray Dalio's firm, essentially erasing most of its year's gains in Q4 so far. They have absolutely sucked, right? They absolutely sucked. So just understand the biggest, most sophisticated financial macro investors in the world, Ray Dalio and his firm, completely offsides, completely offsides and losing. It, did, also, he, uh, did he short the market after he published his book? I, I mean, I'm not sure that I didn't dig into it, but I'm sure, I'm sure it sounds like he, it sounds like he uh, misjudged it, right? And this just shows you that this is the most complex and hardest to invest environment in the history of our economy. Um, and the best asset class of the year, without a doubt, was just cash, right? So I know it's like super boring, and I've been saying this for a while, but just like getting into cash, stables, whatever you call it, has been the play. It's been the only play. Um, and for the most part, I'm not here. I'm like not going to be doing very complex investing uh, uh, like plans as far as content uh, anytime in the future, really going forward. But looking back at this year, you know, for the most part, cash being the play has been just the, the best move possible, which, which says a lot, right? Because usually there is a better play than cash. Um, the other thing, Blackstone, right? I don't know if you guys talked about this. Blackstone is effectively the biggest like industrial buyer of homes in, in the country. And they just halted withdrawals. It's like giving Celsius vibes right now saying, hey, investors, because the way this fund works is people can invest into the fund and then the fund goes and buys properties. You can see here, and, and I've been saying this, people said, oh, the, the housing market isn't as bad as 2008 because everyone has like a 740 plus credit. Well, it doesn't matter when you have institutional leverage. And I said this, there's hidden leverage somewhere in the system. We saw it in 2008 because there was subprime mortgages and they were being packaged up. Well, everyone goes, oh, well, the mortgages are good. Well, sure. Well, what happens when 90% of those are institutional buyers that at some point need to sell in mass because their, their credit's great. Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a huge multi-billion dollar hedge fund. But guess what? What happens when they need to liquidate 1,000, 10,000 houses, right? Because to, to, their investors are demanding money back. This is where you start getting hidden leverage. So we haven't seen forced selling in the mainstream market. That's what's keeping me on the sidelines. We have not seen panic selling or forced selling at all in the mainstream markets. We have not seen any kind of what I think of as sane, reasonable crash in housing. So that's where I'm just waiting, right? And I'm just trying to be as patient as possible um, as, as just, just literally outweigh people. Because I think that's all you have to do, which sounds like the most boring advice ever to like a bunch of, you know, dopamine ad uh, addicted DGENs like myself and everyone else in this industry. But outweighting people is going to be essentially the, the investor skill of, of this decade, I feel like. Um, and in the meantime, uh, grinding hard in your lane is the, is the thing you should be doing because you don't need to wait to grind your lane. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, yeah, all the bottom calls have just been trash uh, so far. And so like calling the bottom right now when we have only had one decent inflation print. You guys remember in July, we had a great inflation print. Well, what happens if we get a, a pretty like bad inflation print next or an elevated inflation print? And I see a chart right now um, here. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll link this to you. Um, I saw a, there's an uptick. Here we go. There's an uptick in expectation of inflation for the next print, I believe. Um, and this factors in without getting too boring. We have the China zero COVID policy. We have those protests. If they lift their zero COVID policy, it'll place a huge more demand on oil. It'll, it'll increase the expectations for inflation. Once again, making the job way harder on the Fed and, and they'll have to, again, tighten. So this, here, I'm sending this to you on Discord. Um, but that's what I'm looking at is we just need to be patient enough to observe and observe inflation. And I think the people front running the Fed pivot, it's just like, why in this, in this climate, why? Because you can make so much money once you know that the, the new sort of cycle has started. Even if you're a year late, you can make a, a year and a half late. You can make the most world changing money allocating once you're firmly into a new bull cycle and you have a, a firm view of where the Fed policy is going to sit for the next year or two. Right. And so to me, to, to allocate right now, when the Fed could come in in, in a few days and say, actually, inflation is really bad. We're going to put the hammer down just like a crazy time. It's so, so degenerate. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting really excited because it's it's this cocktail of bad news that keeps people, most people away from the important stuff. And it's this cocktail, it's, it's really this exact setup where crypto has gone through it so many times where the world seems like it's over. Uh, I remember China banning Bitcoin in 2017 and then 18 and then 2018 and 19 and the, the 50 times they did it. But at the beginning, it really felt like the world was over. His uh, chart is conveniently clipped 
uh, it actually drops down uh, significantly right after that line that he posted for uh, that Bob posted. Um, but it, it's still, I mean, it's still not a good look that the expectation uh, did peak um, higher than it ever had in November, despite uh, the the tightening that we've seen from the Fed. Um, but it did the the chart. Some of the Twitter Twitter is great at uh, posting charts. Let me tell you. Um, the, here, I'm going to post it in our chat so you can actually what, see. Is 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 this manipulated data? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, just slightly. Um, basically, yeah. Like, I mean, regardless, the the look is still up. Actually, that link that I shared uh, embeds it, so you can see it right there. Um, but it's still not good. Uh, and I I. Another thing that I saw, there was a, a thread going around. Um, well, it wasn't even a thread. There, there's a guy on Twitter who keeps posting, and I'm banking on, I'm blanking on who it was. I think maybe uh, it's Pura. I'd mentioned this guy before. Uh, I'm gonna have to find out. Uh, I'm gonna have to look him up. But what he, the synopsis is, he basically ended up posting. He was like, "Oh, here the Fed goes again." Typically, like. Uh, the market going down and everything else, like uh, eventually this resolves itself. Um, and so he, he was like essentially arguing that the Fed uh, doesn't need to be doing this and is only uh, a contributor to there being an inevitable recession. We haven't seen that conversation as much. And I think maybe that's because um, the jobs uh, market has been so strong. There was one other thing, though, that I think is interesting uh, the guy who does Mike Rowe, who does uh, Dirty Jobs, um, he I, I saw him on an interview, a random interview that showed up on like TikTok or something, and he was talking about how we have more people than ever just opting out of the job market, and I think that that's something that also sort of skews some of this data, um, and so there's like there's bigger forces that exist, and and uh, I, it's hard it's hard to read through because there are so many variables at play on the macro side, it's harder to sort of like read the tea leaves to get like, you know, accurate insight in terms of what actions there are. But to your point earlier on where you're talking about Web3, man, I mean, PO made 100% trade today. He went, you know, whatever, he made 90 bucks or uh, a couple hundred bucks, um, which was... uh, I really don't think it was that much. I think it was like $50. Okay, times times two. All right, but the, uh, uh, whatever it was, I, I, I just think it's uh, funny, though, that like there are opportunities. The NFT space, as devastated as it's been, and I put that in sort of air quotes because uh, it's still massively large relative to where it was, you know, uh, two years ago. And so it, it's, it's now this market that it still exists and frankly is one of the best places for trading, especially if you're looking for uh, extensive gains without getting uh, leverage, which, as we've seen, has been a source of wrecking many different people, uh, a- including uh, SBFs. How he's like, it's not, it's, it wasn't criminal activity. It's simply, uh, it, it was a couple of mistakes. Negligence. Um, but, yeah, but he's like referring to that basically being a major part of the fact that they are a margin. Uh, trading platform and that that would, you know, that was a major contributor to it, whatever. I don't, I don't really, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but the, uh, the bottom line is there, there is a ton of opportunity out here. And so you might as well be sniffing it out and uh, trying to find some of that action. Unfortunately, it's so quick. I mean, Pio, th- have you had a faster trade? Like what your, your flip this morning was literally five minutes. Like you got in and got out after five minutes. I'm curious what the floor on that NFT is now. Well, I mean, but- to give to give context on that, I just uh, could like it seemed like it was hot. Like the the parent collection, we're talking about a we're talking about a random NFT collection. Okay, so like we do the morning show, which is focused on NFTs. The random NFT collection, it's a reflection by Anon. There's only 334 of them, so I was like, all right, well, it's a very low supply. When there's a very low supply, things can run pretty quick. Like you know, the it can the th- the floor can be very thin. Uh, Easy was talking about it, said that he had uh, bought several that morning. 
Easy's a big time, like, you know, trader kind of mentality person. So if this collection attracted Easy, then I thought that it might attract more people. I looked at the volume, the volume was steady. That when I checked, there had been a sale like two minutes before, maybe 15 minutes before that. So there was steady volume on this relatively scarce collection. And then the cherry on top was that the parent collection had had this monster run up where it was holding a 1.75 ETH floor with liquidity off of like a, a run from 0.2 to 2 ETH in like 24 hours. So I just bought it, listed it immediately because right now the NFT space is largely hot potato unless you're buying serious value stuff like some of the value generative art collections or some of the extremely high value profile picture collections. Other than that, it's hot potato. So I can either get wrecked or I can list immediately. So I listed immediately and to my surprise, it sold within five minutes. I didn't expect it to sell within five minutes, but that's the long and short of it. Go ahead, Nick. Uh well, the, the only other thing to add is that floor price is basically fully retraced at this point in time, which is crazy. I no, mean, it sounds, like, it sounds like after losing over seven figures in, um, in portfolio value, you've managed to make a triple digit gain here. So uh, <laughs> are you, is, is it time for you to start a, a conference or a cult or something of the like? We're definitely doing a conference. Uh, look forward to that You know, next year where we're, we're going to give you uh, advice on how to make money flipping NFTs. Yeah, I got the ebook coming out. Nine ways to you know quadru- nine ways to ten x your net worth. You know, <laughs> hit, hitting a website near you. Uh, it only costs thousand bucks an ebook. Uh, yeah, but um, but anyway, so now we've kind of digressed. Um, I love what Elliot's kind of talking about about being patient. I think Nick brought up some interesting points. Um, you know, Elliot, it sounded like you wanted to talk about some fun Web three stuff. Like, wh- what is fun Web three stuff in Elliot's world right now? Yeah, so um, you know, quite clearly, JPEG MFers don't care. Like, the, there's like a very clear sign from the market that, like, even though this is really, really bad, um, it's clear that like some, some, not all, some communities are very sticky, right? Like some, right? And so that's what's really cool to see, and what you hope, and that the data seem to indicate is that there is something real about these. NFT communities, right? And there is something brewing there. Um, you see like the, the the Reddit avatar story continues to get buried because it's not crypto Twitter native, right? Um, but there is a real viable sort of identity use case for NFTs online and something I believe long-term has, has a viability. Does that mean that your bag is going to pump? Probably not. But does that mean that NFTs in general have a part of the future of, of the internet history? Yes, I believe very much so. And so um, especially in, in the sort of more native Web3 space, you're starting to see the sort, sort, sort of core communities reach their, um, you know, I don't want to say buyers of last resort and say like, there's, there's the bottom. But you'd imagine that a lot of the people who are forced sellers or planning to sell have sold and that, you know, you have, you know, like not as many people who are just not long-term left, right? You're having sort of like your, your core communities left. And I know this because the discords I'm in, at least, are zero price focused, zero percent anymore. I don't hear talk about price. I hear all talk about product, about progress, about sort of long-term vision. And you get the sense that people are starting to really not focus on necessarily the trading aspect of the Web3 industry, but on other aspects. And that to me is is very good. Um, there's also an element that like at its core, you'd expect or hope for some of these NFTs to trade more like, um, you know, collectibles or art than they would trade like altcoins. And so, you know, seeing that start to happen is going to be really interesting to see which communities start to trade like collectibles or art um, versus say, just like an altcoin. Um, now, of course, if there's any kind of major, huge capitulation in ETH, major, huge pump in ETH, like that's going to have an effect on the market. Um, but really starting to see durable communities shape is very exciting. Starting to be in discords and actually enjoy my time there where it's not just like, when this or price that, it's like actually really nice to to hear people talk about uh, tech product, just the world vibes and and have like this kind of like it feels almost like when when you think about early NFT days, it feels like it's getting back to that kind of core culture, which which is exciting because that kind of stuff is hard to kill, right? When when you have people who aren't really focused on the charts, it's kind of hard to kill those communities. 
Yeah. So, okay. You, you said a couple of things that I love there. First thing is something that I don't hear talked about enough, which is the idea that NFTs will separate from crypto in the sense that they'll trade more like collectibles or fine art versus being completely married to the cycles and price action of the underlying tokens. That was what I asked Gary V when he came on our show last time. And he said he feels that there will be a separation. Um, the second thing that I want to just point out, I'm sure Elliot would know about this. Elliot, we had the CEO of Animoca Brands North America. Uh, we actually mentioned you on that show and because they've invested in so many uh, you know, Web3 brands, yours being one of them. And he said that what, what you're going to see over the next decade is the separation of financial, financial instruments and entertainment products through you know, Web3. As in the tokens, the in-game assets from a game are pure play entertainment products versus all of these tokens and assets being treated as financial instruments. Last thing is what you just said you talked about like kind of that underlying you know um community and and you know uh treating these things as products and people having interest in the actual asset or the actual product versus just the price of the thing that's not going anywhere and i think that that's basically the bedrock of nfts and web3 technology in addition to the actual blockchain technology because i don't think the hot potato all that matters is the price thing is a healthy thing for the long term. And nobody that has real conviction actually operates with that price of the thing mentality. Because if you actually have the deep conviction, when the price of the thing goes down, it excites you because you're able to acquire more of the thing for a cheaper price. And if you follow someone like DC Investor, he's basically tweeting about this in a much more sophisticated way, where he just talks about like the kind of extractors leaving the crypto space during periods like this, th these periods being massive opportunities for accumulation when you know the, the kind of mainstream isn't paying attention. And then when things run the next time there's a bull, a bull period, uh, you know, that's where the wealth is really created. Um, Nick, I, I don't know anything you wanted to, to comment on on what Elliot said or anything that we're talking about here? Uh, not, I mean, I, the the thing that you mentioned about the separation of assets, you know, we we discuss this stuff all the time in terms of where the the market is headed and uh, our our theories and theses on NFTs. My biggest one is more in terms of where circles around where the uh, where adoption comes from, and uh, nothing has changed on that front. So so I'm not sure if there's anything uh, new to add there. Um, it. Like we we've already started seeing things. Basically, the uh, and when I say seeing things, I'm referring to like Reddit. I'm referring to Instagram, and uh, I'll be interested to see what Twitter does um, in, in terms of uh, NFT adoption. And that's the biggest uh, question for me: is how does this all materialize? The one other person, which is the the uh, what. It, how how much does a gorilla weigh? Nine hundred pounds. Uh, the the uh, uh, whatever it is, sixteen ton gorilla, uh, which is you know it's a heavy gorilla at that point. It may be even uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Apple in this case, uh, Apple to me is like the biggest driver uh, of potential adoption, and that's one that I'm really interested in. Um, be especially as it applies to their head headset. You know, we, we were discussing this when we were in Miami, the, and, uh, uh, kicks mentioned it this on this morning show is, uh, all of the AI stuff that was going around this weekend with the, uh, GPT three, uh, chat, um, that's set up. And, uh, I, I actually went and used it. it. It's open and available for anyone. You can just go use it. You don't need an invite like you do with the, uh, image, uh, generator. And I went and used it, and you could be like, code me something that does X, basically, uh, in this programming language, and it does it. Um, it. It does it, like, it's not that great. The one that is much better is the one that uh, GitHub has, an AI solution that does this. Why do I bring all this up? Because if we're seeing AI have this giant curve, and and we're on the, we're in the uh, uh, Ray... I'm blanking on his name in the world of the exponential. Uh, he always refers, and I'll look up this guy's name, Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil always talks about it. 
that we live in the world of the exponential and that as humans, it's, it's quite difficult to understand the impact that that has. But we're seeing that right now with AI. And when I look at that, to me, all that means is, is if the computer is able to accelerate thought in a way that's exponential, then what that means is, is that also conversely means outside of the limits of physics, we should be able to see more innovation on the hardware side where AI assists in that sort of process, which means that uh, the Mark Zuckerberg's bet on VR, as shitty as it looked this year and as punished as his stock has been, perhaps we're only 12, 24 months. And, when, when he, and maybe he's even underestimating it. I don't know. I mean, he's at the forefront of it, uh, which is why it's hard to be placing that bet. But when the computer is no longer, and uh, uh, one last thing to, to add associated with this, and uh, apologies for this long rant, but I'm going to tie this together with a bow. This, uh, this analyst, Charlene Lee, years ago used to talk about how social media will be everywhere. And what she meant was like, you don't think of it as an app. We still haven't gotten beyond that. And uh, where, I, where I see that that actually materializes is in the world of AR. And right now, AR exists on your mobile device. The only way that we get past this is with goggles. Google goggles look stupid. No one, no one uh, thought that you looked cool wearing that thing. Apple, I think, has the potential to do it. And the format that I think of, I think of ski goggles, basically. There's people that wear ski goggles in like a fashionable, as a fashion statement. They just put it on their head, whatever. Um, I, I think that there's a possibility that it ends up looking something like that. And that we're going to see a lot of adoption on that front. I'm really waiting for that as the driver of a lot of these things. And that's why I think Apple may be one of the biggest players in the NFT space. For now, gaming, where Elio exists, where uh, the CEO that you referenced, Pio, uh, exists, is that is on the gaming front. And that is the biggest area and driver of adoption in the interim while we're waiting, uh, while we're waiting on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go, go ahead, Pio. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say like that separation. Well, and bringing up AR is is really a big thing to do because to me, I do view it as inevitable. I think that when you talk about this stuff, people do frame it as something that may not actually eventually come to fruition. But to me, it's just a foregone conclusion that proper AR will exist in the world. And I think as technology progresses, it'll be like literally glasses, like what you wear, you know, to read a book right now, or what you know, nearsighted people use when they're driving at night or whatever. Just literally, uh, like to proper glasses. And when that happens, that's when you can see that integration of social media. Um, and I think all of that ties into gaming. I think the future of gaming, gamers are going to be like in the best shape out of anyone because the boxing game is going to be so fun and realistic that, and the, the way they track your motion is going to be so elite that if you beat someone in the boxing game, it means you would literally beat them in a real fight or a real boxing match. Uh, and I think that the future of like Call of Duty stuff with AR will just basically be like paintball, but without the, the, the balls actually hitting you. You know what I mean? So now, now I know we're going down a wormhole. Elliot, was there something you were going to bring up? Yeah, I guess my feedback is all of this was, was inevitable, right? And it's, this has been around for, for the people following this level of AI has been around, you know, developing quite a while back, but this sort of chat, uh, chat app that just came out, the open AI app is the one that's now making people just be like, Oh my God. Um, in the end, you know, Elon's been talking about it for a while. You know, it's, it's something we need to have on our radar, but in my opinion, it sort of brings us back to like the things that matter most. And it ironically ties in with the web three space in that communities, uh, of real people that you connect with are some of the most important things that you can have. Um, because, you know, it's going to be a very long time, decades, I think, before AI is to the point where it can supplement human contact to the point where, you know, you have, um, relationships with AI that are more important than your relationships with other humans. Um, and so, you know, that's to me, the, the most important thing is to realize that human connection and human interaction is going to become even more unique in a world where, uh, AI starts to automate away other tasks. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, like looking at where we're at right now, just sort of zooming back in, um, you know, I've, I've been of the belief that while I've been calling for lower prices or whatever, um, I'm also a big believer that you put your 
put your work into where you think the future is. And if you've been following me, you know that I've been working relentlessly on uh, Web3, right? Gaming specifically, and then also Web3 products. So those are the things that I believe are the most important uh, innovations in the world to be focusing on right now and the biggest markets to be attacking. And I also believe that we're extremely, extremely, extremely early in those life cycles. And so while you can say, okay, maybe it's not the time to be gambling aggressively um, on, on JPEGs, uh, even though if you look at my you know, public wallets, uh, where, the, where I'm buying um, most of my JPEGs, uh, I haven't sold any, right? Because I've been buying into things uh, either that I consider a total loss if they go to zero or that I believe are potential really long-term durable things. Like I have a Fidenza, like I have some apes, you know, I have, you know, I, I have exposure to the punks. I have, you know, like the things that we think, okay, you know, in the future, these are going to be things that matter um, or communities that I think are valuable. And so, you know, my work there has only gone, you know, exponentially higher. And I'm excited to share essentially a product that we've been working on for over 18 months. Um, it's coming out tomorrow and it's one of the biggest achievements that I think the space is going to see. Um, and so while I, I encourage everyone to be careful in these times, I also hope that my, my example of working relentlessly on products, um, within the space shows where my long-term conviction is that it's not just about sort of like hanging around to gamble on stuff. It's about building stuff you think is going to add to the world. And that's something that we can all do regardless of AI, regardless of any of this stuff. Um, there's huge, huge opportunities here. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about on the morning show a lot is like where value is accruing in the NFT space specifically, just because that show is an NFT show. And as we get deeper into the bear market, I feel like my own personal clarity about how I think about the space is continuing to develop deeper and deeper. And it's been fascinating for me to pay attention to where value accrues. And you brought up a few different things. You brought up crypto. CryptoPunks, you brought up Board Ape Yacht Club, and you brought up Fidenza. And it sounds like you own all three of those. Those are three different categories, kind of. Um, it, it's at least two different categories. It's at least generative art and profile picture backed by what's basically a modern bleeding edge technology startup that's focused on the metaverse. Which when you look at the NFT space, like I see, uh, I see artists in the crowd. I see people that run businesses in the space in the crowd. You know, there's, there's a difference between like a piece of art, like a Fidenza, that is a new, uh, you know, style of art, just like the impressionist movement or, you know, it, the, the surrealist movement, just insert whatever art movement, uh, you want in to the conversation that's generative art. Right. And if you look at art history, right, it took 15 years before the traditional art world actually uh, recognized and respected Monet. A lot of times the way that the art world can kind of bless new artists or bless new art styles actually has to do with market cycles. Um, so a lot of people are, a lot of people believe that generative art will just be eventually accepted by the art world and thus it will have robust value accrual. And at the end of the day, there's no startup company being built behind a Fidenza. It's just really an individual artist, in this case, Tyler Hobbs, developing their legacy over time and then the market ending, ending up favoring that individual artist's legacy and also the uh, movement, in this case, the generative art movement that goes along with, with that artist. With CryptoPunk's Board Ape Yacht Club, at least with Board Ape Yacht Club, you're looking at the kind of startup angle. Um, for you to deploy capital today, Elliot, into the NFT space, is there an area you're most comfortable? And you're deep in the gaming sector. Uh, would you buy like a Gala Games token or something like that, or an NFT that goes with something from a gaming entity like that? Or would you be more comfortable with generative art? Would you be more comfortable saying, well, I'm going to buy a Bored Ape or a Mutant Ape or a Kennel Dog because they have the most capital and they're building an actual technology product just like a bleeding edge startup would. They're backed by A16Z. You know, I'll buy another deed or whatever. I'm just wondering how you look at the space from an investment perspective. And if I gave you $50,000 today or maybe $100,000 is more appropriate because you can buy a punk with that. Um, if I give you $100,000 today, like, how would you think through the safest way to deploy that capital? Yeah, so for me, it's it's pretty pretty clear that there are durable communities that aren't 
caring about um, what's going on um, as far as the market movements. And so what you want to find are communities that are going to be directly involved with gaming, I believe, um, and that you want to find ones that are have been very resistant to this, uh, this change in the market. Um, now, obviously, I'm extremely biased because these are projects that I founded, but you know, I've kind of making a point to not really put my weight behind other projects because the founding teams, I don't know what they're up to. I don't know what they're going to do, right? I don't, I don't know what the decisions they're going to make. And that is by far the most difficult thing to predict is what humans will do. Um, and so, you know, what I, what I can say is that the projects that I'm focused on, um, you know, the, the gaming hive mind, uh, which, you know, has been one of the most successful experiments so far in this industry, which was Neo Tokyo, uh, is extremely vibrant. Um, and they're focused long term, and something like I think almost ninety percent of uh, those those uh, minters have never sold, um, even though at one point the set reached like seventy ETH, right? Um, and then you have uh, imposters, which is you know uh, already has an active gaming community, and you know obviously I know a little bit more about those projects than I do anyone else's. Uh, the reality is, it's a really hard thing to predict. But looking at communities that have been super durable, like. Azuki's been super durable, super durable. You're looking at punks are extremely durable. Um, the original BAYC, I'm not really sure about how other deeds is going to perform just because they have such a big market cap to deal with. Um, and you know, they're working with improbable and improbable effectively has not had a track record of making hit games. Um, so they have, they have, they have quite a task on their hands. I'm, I'm, I don't short Yuga. I believe in Yuga. Um, but as far as saying like, Oh, I'm going to chunk all my money into other deeds. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like, I personally would focus on durability, right? Because surviving is thriving in this industry. I'd focus on durability and proximity to gaming. That's, that's how I see it. Um, something that looks pretty good, um, that looks like it would be something that's going to survive and going to have, you know, at least a shot uh, here to, to do something really cool. Obviously, Digi's, um, you know, Gabriel Layden's product project, because he's got a history of being successful in games. And he went with like an ultra low supply with, uh, with the initial Digi uh, uh uh, collection. Um, and he seems to be like using all of his VC connections and money to try to prop it up. And so that's like a really, really cool thing to know that there's a $200 million war chest, uh, behind your project. Um, and they didn't have to create this massive market cap to do it. It's very rare. Um, you know, Gabriel's VC backing is pretty much unheard of, right? He, he raised 200 million at, at a $2 billion valuation. So it's like, I guess, he, I don't know what those VCs, um, I guess they're expecting him to deliver, uh, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar return or, uh, or essentially an 11 figure company, which is amazing. And so, you know, the confidence he's inspired from fundraising means that he's gonna, he's gonna have some big guns to throw at this. So that's, that's great. And that almost becomes like the way it's setting up. Um, it's less about one game and it's more about like proximity to gaming in general. Um, but in the end, to me, it's like, looking at what is going to sort of ossify and cross cross that gap to not be just traded by flippers, that stuff is really, really exciting. Um, and, and really to facilitate that stuff, you know, one of the things that's really hard to, to tell is how these communities are doing and what the vibes are in those communities. Uh, and one of the big issues here is that most people, most NFT people or interested people are not tracking every Twitter. They're not tracking every Discord. They're not in the alpha chats. They're not behind the scenes. They don't have access to the information that like 90, you know, the, the, the top 1% of traders do. And I think that's a problem on the product level, right? That's a problem with the marketplace level and the shortcomings of the marketplace product. And again, this is sort of like the focus of most of my work right now is how can you bridge the gap so that people understand where the value and where the durability is in the NFT space? Because it is there, right? It is there. It's just hard to see if you're not part of these select groups where the information is being exchanged. Um, and of course, this brings value to, to podcasts and, and spaces like the ones we're doing here and the ones that you guys do in the morning because you're decoding it and you're giving people access and visibility into stuff that you're focusing on by spending all your time in there. But isn't it better for the industry as a whole if that information is disseminated through better product and through better, uh, through better visibility within the space? I think so. And I think that increases the amount of people who become net positive on the space as a whole, seeing where the strength pockets are instead of just seeing the headlines. 
A thousand percent. I couldn't have said it better myself. Obviously, everyone on stage right now is a content creator, so we have biases towards the value that content actually provides. But one thing, you know, I I just like to think of the idea that even though we don't understand what the future value of some of the stuff that we're talking about right now is, that doesn't change that we will understand it one day. I think personally, you brought up gaming, Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think gaming is kind of the easiest area that you could see value accruing to because of that sort of the separate uh, separation of financial instruments and entertainment products like Robbie, the CEO of Animoca Brands North America said to us. And, you know, the perceived value of those assets is just dependent on if the game is fun and, you know, you'll see like a 12-year-old get a rare sword in a game because they're skilled and they completed a mission at the right time and other players have a deep desire for that sword. And right there in game someone can make an offer of you know 12 grand for the sword the the kid presses the accept button and boom they just got 12 grand for their efforts in a game like to me i think that that's like a very realistic thing that you could see in the future it's basically built on the on the back of a fun game uh, we know that it's not impossible to make a fun game you're just integrating the blockchain technology bingo bango boom you've got some value accrual if I think about like Board Ape Yacht Club, right, biggest name in the NFT space, right now, if I buy a mutant ape, what does it get? You know, what do I get? Right, a lot of times you hear in the NFT space, people say, "What do I get?" Well, the reality is, you don't get anything. You can you get a ticket to a party, cool, like that's awesome. That you don't but, go to, by the way. That yeah, we didn't go to the Board Ape party in in Miami on Saturday. We left a day early. But anyway, um, you know, but in the future, right, when uh, for example other side is live and if it is the premier metaverse platform and if there are other brands and entities building robust um you know products on that metaverse platform and if they're they're attracting a ton of users because there's built-in incentives and all of this remember comes from the underlying technology right the bedrock of everything that we're talking about is just simply that this technology is better than the previous technology and technology moves forward not backwards okay. so Nick Nicola gets a kick out of this. So just ladies and gentlemen, so everybody understands, Nick is not a believer that blockchain technology is simply the next, you know, iteration of the internet. Nick is it, it Nick, Nick doesn't uh, totally well, believe that it's better technology. He thinks maybe the old shit it, is better. It depends on what you're replacing. I I, I just hate the the statement about X is a better technology. That that's where I end up why I always end up laughing at it because like one, for example, like the internet replaced a lot of things. I think the biggest thing would be like uh, mail, except when you buy e-commerce stuff where I'm getting a lot more mail. Basically, all of my uh, retail purchases now come from Amazon. But with the, the internet ex- just replaced mail? No, it replaced a lot of other things on the communication front. I think of newsletters and uh, new or c- uh, communication is where it was a revolution. But like the blockchain is not a communication revolution for example. information, right? The internet was a, an information revolution. Yeah, but that's across the board. That's communication, right? Information in terms of the way that you can access it. And that's people sharing information that you can search on Google, whatever it is. It's all forms of communication and then consuming that information as well. But the, the bottom line is like the blockchain is not replacing that component of it. I think what it's actually revolutionizing. It's advancing it. It has no impact on, on information. Like it doesn't make it faster. It doesn't make it any better. Today, it's, what about in five years, 10 years? It has, years. that's not where it's, 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 that's it. The blockchain is more focused on decentralized ownership of things and your ability to not be reliant on uh, on big organizations. For example, you, the you banks. You don't think there's, real quick, you don't think that there's any shot that somehow blockchain technology starts to revolutionize information, especially when you think of ENS domains and how those are relevant today. You no. don't think that in 15 or, no, no, no way, no way information will get revolutionized in 20 years, no oh, shot. Uh, if, if I could chime in here, I think one of the things that w- could happen is if blockchain technology were used as a way to vet um, sort of accurate fact, fact-based news, right? So if you had like, oh, this entity has, you know, you have like an on-chain reputation system, voting system to to identify sort of like fact, you know, as close to, you know, vanilla facts as possible, if facts even exist anymore. That's something interesting, but the speed of blockchains is intentionally slow to create, to to solve the double spend problem, right? To solve like security problems. So I don't, I think like I agree with both of you 
that yes, it is going to revolution, it can revolutionize information in a way, but that it's not, that's not like its main use case. Its main use case is an ownership layer. Um, and so that's kind of where I think like the real innovations come is by recognizing sort of like the core focus of why blockchain was created, which was security, double spend problem and ownership. Uh, whereas, you know, that is an issue and there, there you can apply sort of like, um, you know, uh, sort of decentralized mechanisms to solve sort of issues with misinformation. I think that that's possible. Um, I think it's yeah. just early. Um, I would like to talk a little bit more before we get off this about sort of like the fact that people don't understand the level of spending going on in video games. Like they just don't like I've, I've talked about this like ad nauseum, but I literally, when I find a new video game, like I am an absolute degenerate with spending. Like, for example, I my Warzone client no longer connects for some reason to the server. Like, I've tried to fix it in so many ways. Warzone, you suck. Uh, Activision, you suck. Um, but uh, but anyway, it, it actually pushed me over to a different first-person shooter when I'm in the mood for that, Apex Legends, which has amazing artwork. But in order to get anything meaningful out of Apex, you need to buy their loot packs. And so I wanted like certain things from the game. And what I ended up becoming like going down the rabbit hole is I ended up spending an embarrassing amount, um, NFT amount uh, on loot packs. And it is just like the best, best feeling opening these loot packs. So if you guys think that an ownership layer there wouldn't make that whole thing feel so much more real to know that I could potentially get something with an with an aftermarket. Like, it's just that simple. I don't think there's any way to have, say, free total ownership of an asset with an aftermarket and divorce it from becoming somewhat financialized as well. Like, you, there's no way for you to say, okay, we're going to give you these assets that a bunch, you know, millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people care about in the case of like Fortnite and say that there's no financial component here to getting something rare within this ecosystem. Of course there is. Of course there's going to be the lazy rich guy or, or girl who wants to buy something special within that game because they care about it and they're not going to go through all the trouble of, of hunting it themselves. That's, that's going to be part of the economy. So I just think there's just natural things here. Uh, I will also say that expecting big AAA studios to force this pivot is just like expecting the banks to force cryptocurrency. They will do it only when it becomes so, so obvious that they're getting left behind. And that's because this new model does potentially threaten their margins. Like the big game studios make money every time someone new wants a skin, every time someone who maybe has a new account, let's just say like, for example, they get to a certain skill level and they start getting matched up only against like the best players in the world. It's no longer fun to play. This is like a big issue in, in battle royales and, and multiplayer games. It's called skill-based matchmaking, SBMM. So say you get to a point where you're, you've leveled up a ton and all of a sudden now you're playing, like you don't, you don't play professionally video games, right? You play when you have free time on the weekends, you play to un relax and unwind. And guess what? Now you're constantly in lobbies with people who all they do all day is grind the game. So now you're playing against effectively semi-pros or pros at the game and it's not fun because you poke your head out and you get headshotted and it's just like, it's just not fun to play. So you create a second account. Guess what? Now you're getting pay, play, uh, paired up against either other people that have done that more rare or, or generally less skilled players. But what happens to all your assets? You can't use any of them. You have to then, to have any meaningful good visuals in the game, you have to pay again. And so you have this monopoly over every asset and every every like thing that flows through the game. And so guess what? They love that. They love that. They absolutely love that. Of course, they're not going to give that up. So in my opinion, the real breakthrough has to come from a crypto native, NFT native uh, studio because they're going to actually empower the players. Um, and then once a game becomes popular that actually has that level of ownership and that level of player-friendly economics, then the players can uh, one, once again go back to their stigma against NFTs and go, wait, do we really hate NFTs or collectible digital avatars or whatever they end up calling them digital collectibles or or in-game items like whatever they call them they're going to go wait actually we like these why doesn't this game have it why why are you know and then all of a sudden the players once they experience it will have a different opinion remember they hated in-game currency now they're addicted to it they hated microtransactions now they're addicted to it and those are both net negatives for players those are both very negative outcomes to constantly force players into spending 
whereas NFTs are net positive. So you have a stigma against the one thing that's actually really good for you, whereas you've overcome your stigma against the other two things that were bad for you. To me, the obvious outcome in the future is once a hit game with NFTs and real player ownership hits the market, things will change very quickly. Um, but I don't think the big studios are going to rush into it because they have a great model going right now. Uh, I I agree. Uh, I'm interested to see that uh, play out. One thing that really stuck out to me, Elio, was how I tend to snipe you right as you enter each game, and uh, that's me on the other end. So just remember that uh, not a not an not a seven year old kid who's absolutely dominant uh, at at these games, which is inevitably who it usually is. Well, that's um, well. It's clear that it's because you're not you're not all natural, as Po pointed out. That you're, <laughs> you're, you're you definitely saw not that natty. tweet. <laughs> you're not natty. You're not natty. Everyone can see that. We we saw from the Tub Talk episode that there's no way you're natty. Dude. And uh, uh, and more importantly, more importantly, um, that you know using PEDs is cheating. And if you want to cheat to win, then join Team Nick. <laughs> Uh, 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself, Elliot. There's so many of these fake natties running around the NFT Web3 space. I'm just like not having it anymore. I'm exposing these people <laughs> one one at a time. Dude, uh, well, exposed is a good word for what we saw. Uh, I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna have to use my uh, the tanning bed as well to go alongside my performance enhancing drugs. Uh, the the other thing I was gonna say to to just throw back and wrap the position which or which you had said which i agree with is that yeah i think for the identity based side of things it's very interesting i also think that there's other ways like that um and i think this is what's going to happen supposedly it's going to happen on was it supposed to be friday or, or this coming friday elon had tweeted that bas- that they're going to actually verify real identities and and they're going to bite the bullet on that which to me is huge. Whatever the process is for doing that, if you verify that with IDs, which I guess theoretically can be fake, but if you use a real ver- uh, identity identity verification service, it costs like a dollar per um, uh, ID. If they're able to do that, and that doesn't even require blockchain, although I like what you're saying with the blockchain side, the the someone's going to need to actually develop that on the blockchain side where my ID rather than just my wallet is uh, associated with me, um, which maybe ENS is the company to do that, as Pio was mentioning. Regardless, I definitely think that's a, a really interesting approach. And inevitably, people want to own their identity, and blockchain is a channel that actually could potentially uh, enable that. So I'd love to see that uh, go down at, at some point. Uh, I think we're still, a lo- we're not a ways away, but there, there's just not a widely adopted service that we all utilize that point back to us, us like uh, it, in terms of our real world identity going back to that. Um, but to, to yeah, I, I support what you're uh, saying there on that front. Uh, on the gaming front, I mean, it, it's it's the exact same thing. It, gaming is the the forefront of adoption here. Uh, arguably, maybe porn is as well um, because uh, someone was talking with me in Miami. And when I say porn, I refer to like OnlyFans style stuff. Historically, it's been difficult to get paid. And OnlyFans, I think somehow, like, I don't know what their payment mechanism is that they use, um, but they, they figured out a way to enable payments, which was the, the barrier in that industry uh, in particular. And they always say that, I guess, porn is where a lot of the innovations uh, go on first. So maybe that's where it takes place as well. But games and uh, porn to me seem like two obvious areas where you'll see uh, adoption driven on the crypto front. And then finally, uh, eventually we get to a world where AR, VR, some of this other stuff actually pans out. But we're clearly at least a year, two years, three years from that uh, going down. Yeah. I mean, interesting way to think about it, but I think that I've heard that before, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. We're, we're nearing time. I was going to say, uh, I know Elliot has an announcement. I you know, obviously want to support Elliot's announcement. Um, Elliot, you, you have a product dropping tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I alluded to it. I, effectively, I've been really let down with the products that are released in Web3 in general. Um, that's kind of why I started Zing. building stuff. Zing. Um, it's, it's not a novel point of view. Um, but you know, we see a lot of like debate going on around the most important product in NFTs, which is inarguably right now, the marketplace, right? That is where everybody, that's the one product that unites everyone in the industry. And the only innovations that we've seen so far are, okay, let's lower our fees. Okay. Let's 
uh, remove the the need to pay royalties. Those are pretty much the two beyond the the sort of aggregators, which allowed for multi buys and, and bulk tools. That was that was cool. Um, but beyond that innovation, there hasn't been any innovation really. And so you know, I'm excited. Uh, tomorrow uh, we'll be releasing the first. Uh, the, the open beta for Gigamart, which is something that my team, I, I did a YouTube video on it. You guys can check it out. If you comment on that YouTube video, you can, uh, enter to win one ETH, which I'll be giving out, uh, tomorrow. And, uh, pretty much there is over 18 months of work by a huge team, uh, to deliver this. It's been done in stealth and we think it's the biggest step forward for NFT marketplace tech and product. It's, it's an immersive platform more than it is just a marketplace, uh, with a ton of cool features. I'll talk about it more. I guess we're not going to do an episode tomorrow, but I'll talk about it a lot more on Wednesday when you guys can touch it and feel it. Um, but effectively there's a ton of features in there, uh, that are just stuff that, you know, me as an aggressive uh, NFT trader was just completely blown away and, and confused why these things weren't in the marketplace and things that I used constantly to make decisions as to whether I was going to buy or sell NFTs. And so we just loaded this thing up with with a ton of features um, as well as uh, scalable infrastructure because, you know, Broken Sea was the meme of 2021. It couldn't, stay, it couldn't stand up under the weight. Um, and yeah, I just want to be clear. There's no fees. There's no revenue. There's just a, uh, a piece of tech that we think helps everyone in the industry. Uh, I'm very, very excited to see the reactions. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a blessing, you know, and, and it shows right now we think is the most important time to be shipping product, right? Because if we do get another bull run in the near future, which is what we're all hoping for, we cannot have the same broken infrastructure that we had last time. You know, we cannot have the same issues. Um, and so, Shipping constantly throughout the bear is required if we hope to have a more successful bull run next time um, because everything was breaking so so dramatically under the weight of the mainstream, quote, mainstream adoption. And it wasn't even mainstream adoption. So scalable tech uh, and having a, a marketplace that's actually um, a platform and a product is really interesting. And we think it's going to add a lot of value to the space. Is there a, a token associated with your platform? Uh, there is a DAO that was the seed of the platform, but there's not going to be like a big uh, like airdrop farming situation going on. How do you, I'm wondering, uh, like, what, what do you, what have you been thinking about as like the main driver of adoption in that scenario? Yeah. Okay. So that's a great example, right? You have all these products and all, you know, pretty much all anyone's doing is just farming airdrops, right? And so what does that show you? Like, there's not really anyone that's going, hey, we have these features that make this quality of life so much better using our product that you'll want to use it. And that is the normal way to earn business in the world is to say, hey, we have these awesome features. You know, we have this awesome thing that you can do on our product that you can't do other places. And we think it's funny that that's not been really the driver of adoption. Everyone just looks for a financial incentive to use something. And we think that that's probably not really sustainable. Well, what we've seen is that the ones who do that aggressively effectively just send everything to zero and that it just sort of becomes like a short-term, a very short-term play, right? And so having a product-focused ecosystem is something that we just haven't seen yet. And we think that once people touch and feel what we've built, they'll go, holy smokes, they actually cared about the product. And that's going to be so different of an experience that we think people will enjoy and gravitate towards. So uh, is this just primarily ETH or other, other chains right now? It's just ETH. I mean, we see obviously value in other chains um, in, in a sense. Uh, but, you know, having been through uh, multiple market cycles now, you know, it's very clear that, you know, the winner on ETH is really the, the big, that's, that's the big competition, right? That's where the big innovations and, and the big sort of advancements come. And it serves to sort of, I think, backstop the industry the best by serving the ETH community. So ETH will be the first uh, place that, that the marketplace is. Obviously, in the future, other chains are possible. But as you've seen, you know, how much optimism um, did we see around other chains uh, a year ago? And then now that it's a bear market, how much building and optimism and community do you see on those chains, right? And I'm not going to name names. You don't have to, right? But it just, it happens each time. And it's important to realize, you know, ETH is really the hub of innovation in the industry. Um, and even though it got too expensive for a lot of people during the last bull run, it's still the hub of innovation. And it's still where the most builders want to build. I, I, I'm interested personally in Solana. I'm interested to see what happens there at, what, at post this whole SPF thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pio saw it on the front lines when he was in uh, Lisbon with Easy, and I think that that's that's the only other one that really stands out to me. I know there's a bunch of people that talk about Tezos and some of these others, and then Matic is the other area, which is EVM so uh, based. So 
Um, I'm interested to see some of the layer two stuff that's going on as well. But well, that's exciting. Congratulations on uh, getting something out the door. Yeah, no, thank you, man. It's been it's been a huge, huge lift. You know, we uh, the team had to build its own custom block explorer and backend uh, completely from scratch to serve the data um, in a fast enough and scalable enough way. It's serverless. It's designed like academically to be the most scalable tech out there. Like the infrastructure is pure beast mode. It is pure pure beast mode, Um, and it's designed with the idea that like being perfectly scalable is the only way to really handle and not go down under the weight of mass adoption because you know and and so you know we saw obviously blur talked a lot about their infrastructure um but you know there it's pretty raw the toolkit there whereas you know we were very much so approaching it from a platform uh tooling and and features perspective and then we figured out along the way that we needed this like really aggressive infrastructure if we wanted to be scalable. And so the infrastructure wasn't like the the first focus. We ended up building it as a consequence of wanting it to be the best product. Um, but the features and the innovation around the user experience is where we think um, people will find the most excitement. And we have like a feature roadmap going out. Um, you know, e- even the near future roadmap is really, really exciting. Stuff that just we don't see anyone else talking about, but stuff that to us just makes so much sense. Um, and we're excited to drop it on the community repeatedly um, and continually impress people with, like, with like bringing the product. Like a brick. Like a brick. <laughs> like it, like well, an have, anvil have, on your like, head. We, what we had, we showed some of these features. So one of the features that we have that people are all really seeming to, to buzz about is that we have verified holder chat on every collection. So you chat directly from your wallet. If you're connected to the marketplace, you can go in and chat in a public chat. Or if you're a holder of a collection, there's a private uh, token-gated chat right on every collection, Mm. right? Um, And that's something that just made a lot of sense to us. Um, And apparently people are like, wow, this is crazy that that wasn't there. Um, And we have several features that we believe fit that mold of people being like, whoa, this is crazy that that wasn't there before um, because it just seems so natural. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing, um, probably not by the end of the year, but very, very early in 2023 is something that I think is a huge innovation for the way for it's a huge innovation. And I don't want to like hint at it because it's, it's really big. It's a really big product feature that we have coming up. Um, but it's going to change a lot of the dynamics within web three, we believe. Um, and looking back, it'll be one of those things where people go, well, that's just so weird that this wasn't around because it makes so much sense. And so um, we hope to keep continue to do that and we want to focus on product, right? Now, once the product has traction, um, you know, adding incentives and making it even more, you know, I guess like quote marketing, right, is, is you know, something that we'd want to do. But in the bear market, it's all about building. It's all about product, all about product. And we think getting away from anything that muddies the waters um, is the wrong way to do it. And, uh, and so that's why we're doing it. The marketplace will be free, um, to start with. And it's really just all about user feedback and making the absolute best thing that we can make um, and constantly doing things that people um, will look back in retrospect and go, wow, that's so obvious. We'll love hearing about it. Shout out to Gigamart dropping tomorrow. Thanks for, for telling us about the drop, Elliot. Can't wait. I'm sure it's going to be badass and can't wait to see what the product looks like. We'll talk about it on Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this show is back. We're going to be running it Monday and Wednesday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern each and every week. We're pumped about it. We're pumped about this cadence. Maybe it increases, but for now, Monday and Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time, the Web3 show where we discuss all things crypto, NFTs, Web3, tech, finance, gaming, and everything in between. We will catch you all on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Check out Gigamart tomorrow.